This is Designing Dreams and I'm your host Amin Kuni and I bring you a series of insightful and deep conversation with some of the best architects and designers in Vienna. Welcome back to the show. Dear listeners, this week I bring you the second part of my conversation with Patrick Zabelitsky. In case you just discovered the show, hit pause, scroll back to the last week's episode where we get to know Patrick and then come back to continue our exploration of his journey as a student learning the tricks of becoming an architect. Get ready for a deep dive into some almost philosophical topics like the importance of writing on top of sketching when learning and practicing architecture. I do it throughout the day, almost daily, and it helps me tremendously to organize, distill and communicate ideas but more on the topic later with Patrick. We also talk about the evolution of the educational system in Austria at the Technical University in Vienna. And of course, we touch on the future of his studies and we discuss his plans for Erasmus, his dreams of traveling the world and helping others, finding purpose in his role as an architect for society in general. I will also be sharing my experience during my Erasmus year in Istanbul and you can hear me do my best to empower him and every other students like you uh, to try that truly unique experience to unleash new insights, learnings, challenges and triumphs and of course great memories for a lifetime. Uh, this was such a nice conversation. Uh, with memories surfacing up and just a lot of hope for the future. I'm glad you get to hear that. <laughs> As always, go to the show notes and of course, check out viennaarchitect.com slash podcast to find useful links related to the episode. All right, this is Designing Dreams with Patrick Zabletsky. Here we go. I went to the Barcelona Pavilion from Nice van der Rohe. Oh, that's I, a beautiful experience too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I never went to Sagrada Familia, but the pavilion, I, I, I love that so much. Mm. Yeah. It's so peaceful. Yeah. Even though it was crowded with people, yeah. but the space and mm -hmm. the proportions, the materials. Yeah. I sat there as if it was my home. <laughs> I never expected the surrounding of the building because you go through, I, don't, I think it's a parking lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's you go weird, the, yeah. It's very weird because yeah. on pictures you imagine like a big park which, <laughs> which it sits in and yeah. then and it is peaceful surrounding yeah. and then you are standing in, in, in the parking lot and you see this building and yeah. Where the hell am I? Is this even the last one? Yeah, I, I thought so too. It's like, this, this is the real one? Yeah. <laughs> and there's the biggest palace of Barcelona <laughs> yeah. right beside that. And I'm, hey, hold on. I yeah. read the right the, For all the listeners that still have to go there to experience it, it's an icon yeah. of architecture, of modern architecture. Very minimalistic and simple and almost like pure architecture where you have a beautiful pillar holding the, yeah. the roof and a beautiful marble slab that is a, a wall or a separation of spaces. I mean, it's not a, it's not a home, it's a, it's a pavilion. Yeah. It's just something that 
It's like a small piece of poetry in a very good book, yeah. which is the story of Mies van der Rohe, and that this Nicely small put. Little, yeah. little poetry. I, I remember that I saw it in a, like, I don't know, what was it? I guess the expo landscape, which was way wider and open. Mm. And you see that pavilion standing alone. With them. Yeah. It was very airy. And it's supposed to let the air flow and so on. And then, and then we arrived there. I put it on Google Maps. I was like, are you sure this is a, it's a huge, like, I don't know, it's more probably the, the biggest roundabout. Yeah. Right? With, with a lot of cars yeah, and yeah. buses parking there. And yeah. A million people buzzing around. And then you have those huge stairs, I believe, that lead to that palace. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a huge, like it's, it looks like a mountain. Gigantic. And then you like, have this little pavilion on that parking lot, as you <laughs> said. And you think like, really? Yeah. First I was like, it's, because it's so, it, it diminishes the size of it so much yeah. that you're not sure if it's the right one. Yeah, it's true. I, But I, then you're inside and then you find some peace. Mm, it's very balanced. I, yeah. yeah you, you, and you walk around, you see that water basin, and the statue in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah, picturesque. Was, yeah. Uh, mm. I, I enjoyed it very much. This is uh, definitely a recommendation. So what's, what's your favorite, favorite architect? At the beginning of my studies, I fell in love with the works of Kengo Kuma. Oh. Because he has such a philosophical vein for architecture and how he builds with the history of the place and with the materials he uses. Yeah, Kengo Kuma. I also like Moshe Safdi. His buildings are, yeah, are just incredible. One of a kind, I think, and very inspiring. You know, no Habitat 67? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's like somewhere in San Francisco. No, that's oh. in, I think it's in Canada somewhere. Oh, in Canada. Ah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, but that, like that this was his... Tetris, Tetris building. Yeah, that was his initial building, which, yeah, which he I became. watched a very interesting documentary about that. Mm -hmm. I will put a link to the video on YouTube. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Also, how he got that project. It's, it's amazing, actually. He was very young. So yeah, he, he, I think he finished university at that moment, yeah. or that was his master's project or something. And then it, it got built. Yeah, yeah like that. For the expo, yeah. Yeah. Incredible, incredible career. Mm. I can tell you that I didn't have this path, <laughs> finishing <laughs> my studies and having something built. I think most of us, and that's Almost. okay. It's, When I, I did my master thesis about a passenger seat for a rocket that goes from London to Shanghai in 80 minutes, developed by the German aerospace, oh, crazy. the DLR. And I had a professor that I was working for, and she's still teaching at the TU. She specialized in space architecture, everything related to moon bases. And oh, crazy. I hope to get her on the show someday. Well, that would be very interesting because I never thought that, or I thought that architecture on the moon and in space is just engineering and just the simplest, most efficient well, way. Well, that's, that's the whole point of my teacher, to add a little bit of 
context and materials that are enjoyable. Because like the first years of space exploration have been like more on the technical side, as you just said, like mm -hmm. you assumed it's just engineers, which is true. But if you want to live on Mars, I mean, if you want like normal people to be there, yeah. you yeah. should maybe try to include the people that design living spaces for normal people on Earth and, and ask them what they would do differently. So we had, I mean, I, I discovered my love for plants and indoor plants while doing that yeah. studio. And I discovered my love for high ceilings also, like whenever you can have double ceilings yeah. or double double height rooms that add so much and of course it's precious and, and wasteful almost on the moon to talk about double ceilings <laughs> but that's what i thought humans would need on the moon and i guess on mars would be someone somehow similar you would have to dig into the ground and mm -hmm. and dig a huge hole and put some habitat inside the ground so it was not about building a skyscraper mm -hmm but it was all in the ground to shield from micrometeorites and mm -hmm. radiations and, and so on. So Very different approach. Yeah, very different. So that's definitely not Hochbau, but actually yeah. Tiefbau. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But that was a very interesting work. Yeah, interesting. So you did, but you did your master's like about the design of it. Yeah, but my, yeah, it was a passenger seat for that rocket. Yeah. And, and like a whole study of how to put the seats so people don't get dizzy and, and all the requirements of holding you safely, but also you could rotate in that seat and build some groups together to, if, if it's just like 80 minutes, you might as well have a, like a business meeting happening on that flight. Mm -hmm. Since it was also targeted for people who needed to be on, two sides of the planet in, in the same day, yeah, yeah. Uh, who would afford that? Yeah. Probably people who fly business class anyway. So it was all about giving them some, and also you didn't have any service, like no food, because mm -hmm. everything would be floating around. So mm -hmm. the idea was to have like a, a holding strap that would give you entertainment, but on like screens in front of you, but also the ability to communicate with each other. Interesting. Move around, like lay down or, yeah. And I'm very happy I used that last chance to do a very non-architectural topic, not typical architecture yeah. topic, yeah. because I, I don't know if I could, if it would still make sense to explore that field in, in my work life. Like, so into building like in real life that exploring a passenger seat for a for an aircraft that ended up never being built or still in development yeah and that seems so far away from my reality today mm -hmm. even though i get the invitation to dlr meetings every year and oh really yeah, so yeah. the company which builds it yeah it's a state company so oh, it's not building it's still researching yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if architecture yeah. is slow, science is even slow. And aerospace science is incredibly yeah, slow. I, I could imagine. And I went there for like two consecutive years. First mm -hmm. year I presented my work 
And I was like, it was a team of 10 scientists. They all loved the nice renderings I had prepared and the nice presentation. And they loved it. It was the first time, you know, they talk about, you know, trajectories, very abstract and, and complicated. And I have a huge respect for their love for math and science. Yeah. And I was the only one who was bringing something tangible, you know, like, okay, this is how the seat will look like. <laughs> you know, can you make it work? <laughs> can you check <laughs> if it fits <laughs> in your rocket? Like, what I loved about the talking about talking with Moritz about his exploration of physics, and, and I'm always interested in what students do on the side or what their interests are. I, I actually always wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. Yeah. Then I had my first glasses, age six or seven, and then it got worse and worse and worse. And then I found out that astronauts have to have good oh. eyes. Like, okay, so I put that oh. away. So being able to study architecture and then doing a design, talking about yeah. distractions, you yeah. know. I was studying architecture, I was designing buildings and rooms and spaces. But then I was always distracted by other things. And as, like space was always so beautiful and I tried to implement it everywhere I could yeah. and then having that opportunity to do a moon base with Kerstin my colleague oh you did that oh yeah yeah I did that crazy yeah and it ended up being very similar to what Norman Foster recommended to NASA or I don't know what oh. years later I used 3D printing all the cool techniques that mm -hmm. were available at yeah. that time like yeah. okay let's push the envelopes as far as possible yeah. Let's use excavators and, and tell a beautiful story, like why we had, what part of the design brief was find a reason why we should go to the moon. Like, how would you convince people? So we ended up creating a story that was in the future. Mm. So we, we had some leeway there. That, and then we had to go to the moon. Like we, humanity, had to go to the moon, escape to the moon, and then build a base there. And we had like, graphics showing how it would spread and very similar to what you see now from SpaceX. Mm. Not as not as beautiful the graphics, but the idea was very similar. Yeah. But so, even even with that tangent with with that distraction of space and that you still turned out very Yeah. yeah. Very, I mean uh, I had a million other successful. distractions. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up focusing on one distraction. Yeah. <laughs> It still turned out very successful. Yeah, so, it's, a, it's, it's nice. I'm very happy that I did that. Yeah. I'm very happy. I, I, I would always suggest to listen to your inner voice. Mm. But then don't listen to all the voices. Like listen to the loudest maybe. Or, or maybe to the, to the shyest voice. Like, mm. yeah, how, how, about, how about space? Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> so whatever, whatever you have as a passion or... A dream, don't give it up on, and rather keep an open eye to implement it in your architecture studies some, somehow. Architecture, studying architecture is so, you said it, it's so broad and so wide and allows you to, to try out so many things from communication skills to presentation to experimentation with materials, with sustainable ideas, concepts, but also like real materials yeah. that you, you will always find a, 
something from your past or from your childhood you can you can turn into good or at least architecture and making it good is probably like sticking to it for the next 15 20 years do you have anything like that like something that like a passion from your childhood or something that you would love to implement into a design project is there something or do you still have to like discover it i think i still have to discover it because yeah there are some aspects i like and i don't like about architecture but i still feel like a child in this world of architecture so i couldn't i, I can't make I just feel like I still have to learn about this world and become an adult in this world and to make those decisions. Do you think that's why you love movies so much? How come? Like discovering worlds and... Mm. I'm a big fan of movies, futuristic movies, but like great stories about people going their own path. Mm-hmm. or going on some path, not being stuck. Yeah. And science fiction has helped me a lot to explore worlds without having to to imagine them myself. It's so, so <laughs> complex. I mean, yeah. architecture is creating spaces and almost worlds. And we talked about your passion for movies before. Uh, do you think that's, that's related to, to your sense of exploration? Maybe that's the thing, yeah, because I'm always interested in the story, but more so in the relationships between the people which create the stories and understanding those with a sense of empathy and understanding the needs of every person. And I think that's a similar uh, which architecture focuses on on the desire of people and in different settings, in different aspects of life and with, yeah, with different, with people from different social and economical uh, comings. Like, yeah, you have some, you can't just every, design a house every time for a family, which is a family who has a lot of money, right? Yeah. You, you also have to think about projects which help those in need, maybe refugees, maybe, yeah, people who don't have that, mu- that much money and make the most out of what they could afford. Yeah, yeah maybe that's a, a similar point. Do you use that approach in your design today, like in your studies? Do you always look at it from this lens? Mm-hmm. Or or is it something that you would like to explore more? I think I would like to explore more, which interested me more in the last couple of months to create something or maybe just bring humanity a little bit more forward with my design or which I discover along my way. Yeah, just to improve the lives of humans. Is, do, do you see your role as an architect as one that helps as many people as possible or as, as specific as possible? That's a good question. 
to come back to that talk about focus and I don't know what's the opposite of focus, like being very broad, like having a broad clientele or groups of people. Do you care about that? Is it important to you as a, as a in your in your studies to define that for yourself or? Yeah, it's it is very important. If you had to choose today, which clients would you like to design for? Yeah. Of course, I would love to design a home for a millionaire, which has all the money uh, I would need to fulfill his uh, image of the house. What about his his vision? His vision, yeah. But I don't think I would be as fulfilled doing that my whole life, like as to building something that has an impact on a broader spectrum. Like, I don't know, I just I have this little feeling of helping people and... But don't let it die. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't be as preferred to just design beautiful houses because there would be always this little voice in my head, as you describe, which which uh, talks to me. Yeah, what about those people in need and what about humanity in general? What, what's, the, what's the way we have to think to get along in this great story of humanity? Building homes for rich people is a challenge of its own. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Moritz has told you a couple of stories from his father who I worked with. Ah, yes, yes. On, on I, our I heard about that a bit. year-long project. But it's... it's a, I would have never guessed that it's... That, that it's that brutal. Yeah. I think brutal is the right world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's such a slap in the face almost yeah. every day of the week, and then every week of the year, and then the years stack, and the fin and the project is just not done mm. yet, and mm. y y time starts to be distorted. And don't get me wrong, I love every challenge, and this is the greatest challenge in my professional career. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that I've been strengthened by it. Even though I felt broken mm. many times and I thought I would stop and everything, but I I kept on pushing and I'm hugely thankful for every time we had to, to redo a design. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it to anybody. <laughs> it's, it's quite hard, could imagine. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really, really hard. And we wouldn't suspect for which reasons. You know. Yeah? Yeah. To sum it up, I'm not allowed to talk in details about it, but I would say the hardest thing is probably to build for the ego. Mm -hmm. Not for a person, but for his or her ego. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think about all the people we could have helped. In all those crises, it's heartbreaking and distressing to watch refugees leaving their homes, their land. And I guess it has been like this for, for all times.
throughout the, the centuries. But I, I, I haven't found yet a, a story telling the achievements of architects in those specific times. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I, like, it, I'm saying that because I, I, I had this similar thoughts when I was studying how to help. And then I didn't find a path to mm -hmm. help. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, like, don't let that hope die or don't let that dream die. It's really worth pursuing. I still don't find a path. Mm -hmm. Maybe I haven't looked yet or maybe I don't know, but I don't know how architects can actually help in a meaningful way to solve these kind of challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a difficult question, but yeah. that's the interesting part of it. I want to discover it. You know, yeah. The I think there's huge potential for a great sense of purpose and fulfillment whenever you find a path towards that. Uh, I think I would envy you if you find it, but I would wish you the best on that path because I believe that's a very hard one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In your 20s, when you're doing jobs and traveling around because you want to discover the world, I think it's a beautiful way to, it's a beautiful use of your time. Mm. Travel and help and build. I would love to have done that more, being somewhere in the world and help building, I don't know, a dam to a bridge. I have a friend that did that. She was very good at it. She was building bridges in Southern Africa. Oh, really? Yeah, in very remote places. And then she would follow up with... With just... With, with, a, with a... Well, she, she, she set up an organization, she collected funds, she was in contact with local authorities mm -hmm. and local builders and students, of course, architecture students, yeah. that would help. And throughout the months that she spent there, she had incredible challenges and she surmounted them and had that bilge built and then she would travel back to Vienna and tell us the stories. It was really like an adventure, adventure going. Yeah. yeah, it felt really powerful. She had an exhibition at the end and talks and, you know, to attract the attention to her organization, collect funds again. And so like it's a repeat cycle. But I think every, whatever you choose to do in architecture is always like that. You always have to find people to support your dream, your idea, and then the best case, financial support, of course, then go wherever you think the help is needed. You know, and then you have the whole thing that we take almost for granted as architects, like you have to design it, and you have to check it, and then you have to find someone to build it, mm -hmm. and then you have to deal with all the different interpretation of a actually clear plan of how to build something that yeah. everyone adds his or her sauce you know and mixes a little bit up and, and as an architect you're supposed to keep everything together the whole team together and people then leave and yeah. they're not interested anymore it's so hard to create anything i believe but creating architecture and the one that is like architecture projects that help that must be like like if someone leaves the team that I work at for this millionaire's mega mansion, you can't, you like, I had that in the past month. Yeah. Someone left our team, very important person in our team, but I couldn't blame her. Yeah. Like, 
it was impossible to blame her. I was like, yeah, I understand you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exhausting and you don't see a purpose. There's no good purpose to do that other than doing your job at the best of your ability and hoping for the best outcome. But you're not helping two African villages connect over a bridge because the river is like 150 meters deep and no one can cross that. So leaving a project that is a, like a social project must be so hard to, to understand. Like, why are you leaving us? We need your help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come yeah. back, please. Yeah. Uh. I could imagine. And you, you mentioned to even find uh, the right people for, for different things, like a builder who builds your project. Is that hard to find someone trustworthy of, oh, and and so on, someone even who wants to do your work? Oh yeah, yeah. even if I you mean, do in something avant-garde uh, in in a way no one ever built. Like I could imagine that Saha did the challenge of finding a builder. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in the first years, must must be a hard uh, yeah exercise. I I see what you mean. I think in both cases, if it's for a project that helps communities or refugees, or or for a billionaire, <laughs> the search for a so-called contractor. Mm -hmm. In Austria, we would call it a Baumeister. Yeah. And all the different trades, I mean, for this mega mansions, we have over 80 or 90 different companies yeah. doing very specific things. In other projects, you'll have around the same amount, like even for a big building, you know, guy doing the windows and guy mm -hmm. doing this and this. Yeah, and the role of the architect is actually to find them, to select them, to have a due diligence, to check them. Are they able to do it? Are they going to go bankrupt at the mid of the project and not deliver? Then you have to deal with all the contracts and all the, like, you have you have to set up a team as an architect and you have to, to find ways to implement a good leadership in, mm -hmm. in your project. And you still have, you're still dealing with, like, companies and men and women that are very strong at what they do and they have their own interests and you have to bring them together mm -hmm. for one cause. Is it for a billionaire's mm -hmm. home that could host 10 families or is it for a project to help a thousand survivors of a natural disaster or something like that? You still, you still have to find them, to check them, to keep them motivated, keep them on board, keep them on track, keep them on schedule, on budget. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tough... What's your approach to finding those right people? And how do you find them? Yeah. Like, how do you build a relationship with a builder, a contractor, or someone, someone who does the glazing and, and so on? Yeah, I think you just have the answer in your question. You, know, you build relationships. Mm -hmm. I think you build relationships. And whenever we talk about relationships between human beings... Yeah. At least for now, I think even with AI, you have to build a good relationship. <laughs> But with human beings, for now, it's being a, a good person, professional, mm -hmm. and you have to be very motivated yourself. You have to believe in your cause, you have to believe in your project, mm -hmm. you have to be positive, you have to be a, a good leader that they will follow. Yeah. And you have to have 
a team. It sounds like there's a lot of you have to have, right? What I'm saying. So, but when do you start? Where do you start? How do you start? In my path, all I learned is that step by step. Mm -hmm. like I've always had some kind of organigram, a huge map of all the people and trades that I would need to realize a specific project. I have one for my housing projects, I have one for my for the villas I've designed and I would like to build. I have one for like general uh, for my company, for Vienna Architect as a business, like I don't know, from a lawyer to board of directors, people I would ask about their specific knowledge until it's inside the company and in the DNA of my team. But when it comes to like relationships to contractors and trades, just trial and error. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So experience is crucial. Whenever you, like, one of my goals when I entered Moza Architects five years ago is to collect as many cards as possible. Like get to know at least a, a thousand person. Yeah. And, and you have to go through a thousand person to have your top, 10, top 50, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and it was about brands, products in general, but also contractors, different companies doing everything. I would never shy of meeting a person and getting to know you. And, uh, not being afraid of going through mistakes together. That's the best way to grow together, mm -hmm. even disappointments. Mm -hmm. I've saved relationships after a disaster because I knew that now that we've made this huge mistake and we can still look at each other in the eyes, we're going to work on future projects with another expectation towards each other. Yeah. And that person would know that I need things on time and on budget because my client wouldn't allow to, to go over on these two things. So please help me on these two things. And then I'll, help, I'll, I'll leave you some leeway in other areas, you know, like I will, I will help you if you help me. And that's, yeah, I think that's, that comes with experience. I mean, how you search, I'm able to talk from a way different point of view than, I don't know if this is, if this even makes sense to you because I look at it from with like 15 years of experience I don't even remember how I looked at this challenge or answering this question when I was your age or in as a student mm -hmm. I thought this is so unattainable I don't even know what I mean is talking about mm -hmm. can you give me some real <laughs> to do's like how to build relationship with mm -hmm. your contractor if you have a crazy idea as I did like how do you get it? My short answer would be start with a design. Mm -hmm. and that's great because you're an architect. Mm -hmm. So you can start with a design. Like we talked about writing and the value of writing your thoughts. Start with a design that pulls your thoughts and your ideas from your brain and your soul and your heart and everything you need to create a world or, or a building or a facade or a room. Put that onto paper mm. or on your screen yeah. or whatever. Put it on a medium that you can show someone else. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the first step. And then today I would recommend put it online because the internet gives you an incredible 
ability to outsource the self-reflection of your own idea. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people get to say what their first reaction is mm-hmm. with a mean comment or with a positive comment. It was a time where you only had your mom and your girlfriend or something like that gives you feedback on you and both loved you, so... <laughs> they, they were a bit biased. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But today you get to build your um, thick skin mm-hmm. very early if you're open to that, yeah. would I, which I definitely recommend because mm-hmm. university is not shy of harsh critics. Yeah, in, yeah. in architecture, at least. Yeah. They will destroy you if they get the chance to, and they need to, so you actually build that thick skin, which you need because otherwise you would not survive searching and checking on all those trades and all the partners you need to realize a project. So if, if you can put yourself through that hard experience, you have my goal. And yeah. I, I would love to see that. I would love to encourage any students to just just do it. I know it's hard. I know you will not sleep and you will hate yourself, but that's exactly like having those bruises and, and standing up after that hit will strengthen all your muscles and your brain mostly and your heart also. You will be strengthened for your belief and your ideas. I, I used to talk with Francisca and a little bit with Moritz about your style. I talk a lot about how to define your style as a student. I'm, I'm still on that path. I want to say to everyone studying architecture, don't worry, your curiosity never ends. As long as you're curious, you will always build your taste and your style. So whenever you get a chance to put it out to the world, which is what we're trying to do with this podcast also, I just put ideas outside and mm-hmm. let's, let's get some slaps in the face. Just to help you self-correct your own path and then you'll get some help to define it better and with the relationships it's the same like create a design show it sweat a lot while you show it that happened to me like a week ago when i showed my designs for a chair i'd love to show it soon i'll be putting something out on instagram soon Uh and and i was thinking about the presentation itself to the company for like months. I had the designs ready, finished, polished by August. Mm -hmm. And since August, I've been trying to find a way to present the design. And that's it. We learned that in school, you know, like do a poster, what do you want to do more, like a movie, be creative, do what you want. So I thought like, okay, everything I learned in school, let's put it to the test now. And, And what happened is that I scrapped it all I deleted it all. Yeah. I took the phone. Yeah. I called the guy. I think I think I called on Tuesday. Do you have time? Yeah, this week is it's like okay, this week. I think I said Thursday. It would be done at the end of this week. I would yeah. go in the weekend and I would yeah. tell you and Moritz about all my 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 great achievements. And I would be happy <laughs> to have a a solo episode talking about my designs. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, now I have a deadline. Yeah. So that's also good. Give yourself a deadline. A bit of pressure is always good. Great deal of pressure. I I thought like, okay, now I'm going to work on my presentation. Now I will know what to present. Now I have to. Now I have to. Now I know what's what's really important to to talk about. Yeah. And I didn't do shit. (laughs) (laughs) Until the meeting. No way. The meeting arrived. I was like, well, I guess 
I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go with the bare minimum, yeah. with the minimum viable product that I have, yeah. which are the beautiful renderings that yeah. I had prepared. I thought, okay, let's scrap the whole storytelling and marketing, blah blah mm. blah. Let's keep that for you know for an audience that is far away from the product itself. I, I was going to talk to the guy that invented the brand, mm -hmm. invented the chairs, yeah. the designs, and I was just I was just going to show him new models. Mm -hmm. Like the same shape, same everything, but new materials. Yeah. So the best way I thought like, okay, let's I told him like, you know, I was thinking about this for a long time, now I scrapped everything. Here are my designs. I shared my screen and I scrolled image by image. Like that. And he fell in love. He, yeah. he was amazed. He was like, wow, this is so great. I yeah. love it. And I told him, I was so afraid because it's, it's so different materials than what you used until now. I didn't know if it's so different from your own style or, or the production is way complicated on stone than on glass. So I wanted to have your feedback, like a quick feedback on what I just created. But they were already like polished. They looked so real that some people I showed it were like, wait, this is, what do you mean? You're showing me like a ready-made, this is you? Yeah. Said, yeah, it's me. No, it's not you. No, my wife was like, so what are you showing me? <laughs> are these the chairs of the bread? No, 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 no. This is what I proposing. Yeah. <laughs> this is what they do. This is what I do. It's like, ah, oh, really? Wow, they look so real. I was like, yeah, it's amazing. So I would say create a design, find the minimum viable product you can show, put it out. And in this case, with the contractor, like person that would make it happen and then go from there. Mm. So this ended up, for example, in a potential collaboration, like he offered to collaborate. I was like, yes, for sure. <laughs> of course. <I'm> all. <laughs> yeah. And again, I, I met the guy one time before that meeting, only once. Oh. On a video call also. Yeah, yeah. And he was not talking a lot. Mm. So I didn't even know if the relationship would be great. But with the smiles and, you know, he was on his phone when I made the, the FaceTime call. I was on my Mac to show the images. And and he was on his phone. And it was so funny because I always had like his nose <laughs> in, in the camera because he was so close to the screen <laughs> yeah. to look at the details of the design. Yeah. <laughs> that, that I knew he loved it. Yeah. Then his eyes looking like this. Yeah. That was funny. So that's actually the the same approach I have for my presentations. So I know it's not the best way to present your project, but I always think, okay, do I really want to invest this much more time in the presentation and the story? Of course, I always do. But I don't write like two papers full of text, what I'm gonna say or not. I always do it like just spontaneously. And it worked out till now. I hope it does, does in the future. But I always think like, okay, I went through a whole semester just thinking about this. I have the story in my head. And when I'm doing it spontaneously, I know that I'm just gonna talk about the relevant things and the essence of the project and not talk about the specific details. I know what it is for and yeah, that, that, that's also my, my, my way of presenting things. It's a great ability to bring it to the point. Mm, yeah.
it's important. important. How would you describe your design in general, like so far at university? Like, do you have a a certain style or you use the reference that you named before? Minimalist and <clears throat> bold and strong materials. I think it's very nice of the Antwerpen in the universities that they always give icons like buildings which we analyze before doing our projects and analyze on symbolism and materials and the history of the building, the architect which built it, because then you have an input, a different input, and I find that very inspiring because you don't always come to the project with the same approach, like the inputs you give yourself with the architects you follow because you, you have different inputs like, okay, why did Mies van der Roche built this that way and learn about his design approach and discover that it's great and discover a different perspective. And I always try to implement those ideas from different architects and icons we learn about on the way into my project. Yeah. Do, do you tend to, like, are you able to think shortly about these topics or do you rather overthink? I try to immerse myself as much as I can into those icons and, and architects which build it to get behind those ideas. Does it help you like create your own reasoning? Yes, yes, very much so. Yes, I think so. I believe it's, it's a good skill to perfect your reasoning because you'll definitely need that when in front of a client that starts on a blank slate, basically, and, and needs some anchor points to follow you in your reasoning in, in, in the design process. Because you, you want a good relationship to come back to that topic between you and your client. Your client could be a, a single person, a billionaire, or a group of thousand refugees again. So knowing who's in front of you and their base of knowledge is, is important, I, I, I think. And transmitting your own thinking to them is, is, is crucial to have them on board from early on. And it's the same with uh, contractors and companies and people you will need to make the dream come true. But again, to come back to the question of your design, let me put it this way. Is it rather minimalistic or is it maximalist? I'd say... I think minimalistic because I have a bit of love for Japanese and Asian. Did you travel to Japan? And design. No, no, yeah. but I would love to. Japan is like. Oh, it's, it's just so different, and the society there, the historical background, the architecture, the. I don't know. It, it, it's so attractive. To, to me, and I would love to, to visit the, uh, the country someday. And their approach to design is mostly minimalistic. And It's interesting that you like Japan so much. Could it be that you like the combination of a 
huge city like Tokyo and, and the landscape like Vorarlberg, you know, with the mountains. It's quite the opposite, right? Yeah. And yeah, I, I love both. Yeah. I'd love to live in best of both worlds. To come back to the beginning of the podcast, I fell in love with Vienna and the big city. Like, it isn't that big. It, is, it isn't like you have a cultural shock if you move here to Vienna because in Vorarlberg they are also an old town per se and, and the buildings aren't as high here in Vienna like in New York or, or Tokyo, like big skyscrapers. And it's still Austria and the, some sort of, maybe not the same people, <laughs> but yeah, it's just still Austria big city you have all the availability you, have, you, you get from a city like stores which have open mo most of the time and just very attractive for young people here and all all the people in my age group from Vorarlberg moved moved away mostly also students which moved because of university that was also a point of mine to move to Vienna because all my friends moved to Vienna, like Moritz and the whole friend group I used to hang out with, all of them moved to Vienna. And so you find your, your group of friends in Vienna? Yes, yes. And that was actually one good point because all the struggles if you move to a new place, like finding new friends and new mates. Sounds like Erasmus. To, to <laughs> Are you planning to do an Erasmus, Erasmus? year mm. or semester abroad? <clears throat> I would love to, because now it's the questioning, okay, am I going to do the master somewhere else? And I thought to myself, okay, maybe I do the masters somewhere else, but nearby, like maybe Switzerland, Zurich or St. Gallen or even London, I looked at. But for Erasmus, I would love to do an, an, a semester. Where would you like to go? Somewhere even further. Yeah. <laughs> like Japan or New York would be great. But Japan is like, it's like very, it's, it's like on the top. Is, is, that a, is that an option? Can you go to Japan? Yes, but at the TU in Vienna, you, the partner University of Tokyo is just for master students. So you can just do Erasmus in the master course in Tokyo or somewhere else in Japan. Yeah. Which, by the way, I would definitely recommend. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Kengo Kuma also said once, someone asked him if, if he could give advice to young architecture students, what would it be? And he said, go as far away from home as you could yeah. and study there yeah. for a while. At least. So definitely yes for Erasmus. Mm -hmm. Do it. It's an incredible opportunity. Shouldn't miss on that. But I even get goosebumps. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, yeah. it's the longest field trip yeah. of your 20s, yeah. basically. In your specific field with that, you know, focused mindset of I'm in architecture now, I'm yeah. studying architecture. I look at all, everything through the lens of architecture yeah. and design as a student. And then Japan is like, 
beautiful place to oh, study so architecture like and and you study on that Erasmus semester which I would recommend to prolong to one year definitely yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> do it if you, yeah. like, if you can afford it I know Japan is expensive so yeah. save for that and spend that one year in Japan it's incredible what you will learn yeah. in that one year and the further you push it into your master's, the more you will be able actually to learn because the studies are different in the bachelor than yeah. in the master. You have more freedom, you get to choose more. You've also learned quite a knowledge base so far. And then in the master's, you, you, have, you have more liberty to focus specifically in one aspect if you want to go vernacular arch architecture and study the old temples and the old way of living or the new minimalistic and modern Tokyo-style micro-apartments yeah. and bring that home in your suitcase to Europe and, or America that is now, since a couple of years at least, trending uh, micro-homes and pushing homes to get smaller, even though we have beautiful high ceilings here in Vienna and in other Austria. European cities. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to take from there and yeah. come back. Yeah. yeah. I went to Istanbul. Oh, really? I had one last year to study in, in, in terms of credits. Mm -hmm. We were two guys who were the oldest of the Erasmus students there. We were like yeah. 22, 23, 24 years old boys and girls and we were like I believe 27, 28 right. so <laughs> we were like the big brother of, yeah, of the whole group yeah. yeah and it was very nice in Vienna you, have, you can study architecture at three different schools the technical university which mm -hmm. is technical mm -hmm. more technical at least than the two others the two others are, are a lot focused on design yeah yeah building the Universität für Bildende Kunst, yeah. like has Kunst in the name, yeah. that's art. And then Angewandte Kunst, yeah. which is also Kunst, yeah. uh, contemporary art, which is the school where big names teach, like Briggs from Kopp Himmelblau taught there. I don't know if he still does. And I believe what's the partner of Sahadid? I forgot his name, but yeah. he, I think Greg Lynn used to have a class there. Yes, yes, that I heard of. So, some say that the best of architecture designers in Vienna come from Angewandte yeah. and not from TU. But you can just do the masters there. So you I guess you can also do the masters there. I never. But I never you can't even, do the bachelors at the Angewandte. Yeah, I have huge respect for what they do, and we'll be talking soon to. Tanya on the podcast, mm -hmm. which went to Angewandte Kunst. Oh, really? Yeah, and she's now an interior designer, and I'm really, really happy to talk to her about her path. Interesting. And the challenges that she has now in the real world with that, I would say, mindset of an architect and designer that is free of too many constraints like financial and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that boring part. <laughs> that, every architect still has to deal with yeah. to get his job done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's come back to Erasmus. So I stayed for six months and then I took another six months. I was so happy to get to know the culture that is close to my original culture as a Tunisian. Mm -hmm. 
I'm an Arab, so being with Turks was very similar from the Ramadan month to the whole staying up late and drinking tea on the sidewalk and the busy streets yeah. and all that is so alive. I never lived in Tunisia for longer than one month or two in the summer, so experiencing a similar city life mm -hmm. as in Arab cities was amazing. Yeah. So in terms of cultural discoveries, I have so many images from the boat trips from the European to the Asian sides every day because I chose to live on one side and take oh, the boat trip every cool. day instead That's of cool. driving with a metro or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I have to be on a boat yeah. and hear the birds and the yeah. waves and, and reading. You define your lifestyle so much when you're free of all those life constraints in a place you chose specifically in a time you are dedicating to learning and yeah. discovering. Yeah. It's the most beautiful travel experience I came across so far. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's beautiful to you to be the author of your story. And yeah. Just write it as you want it to. And, I, and that's the year I had my best designs. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, it was so weird. It just... Did you feel like free? Yeah. So? Yeah, just yeah. It was a complete... No like, pressure. It was a whole new world. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some circumstances that probably played a bigger role. My, my girlfriend and I were separated for the first time. Mm -hmm. We broke up after seven years. It was, no. So we were, we were both, both of us, we were suddenly way more free than mm -hmm. we, we, we wished to be or we wanted to be. She turned, out, she turned out to be the love of my life because she's the mother of our two children now. So yeah. we, we rediscovered each other after that year that yeah. I took off. That's beautiful to you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's like it's a movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really, my own yeah. movie. It's, it's <laughs> like beautiful wrong. Discovering, discovering something similar to my own culture, mm -hmm. yeah. and being free, design-wise, like in in my studies, feeling exceptionally free because you're in another country, no one knows you. You start from scratch. I've been studying like for seven, eight years. I've been building my identity for so many years since school. And then like, okay, now reset. Take like white paper and just start laying down every single thing that you love and then see where that leads you. And the beautiful thing is that it often leads you exactly to the same point where you were <laughs> after seven years of building like of course yeah. you know yeah. you, it's a beautiful way to get rid of all the superficialities that you accumulated over the years mm -hmm. and you couldn't get rid of yeah. and the very best part of you stays so i would recommend erasmus definitely as a cleansing mm -hmm. process yeah. After a while where you just like collect all the stuff you study and you think you love and a little bit of your past and you miss your mom, you miss your mountains, you miss your, your background, you miss your school, you miss your friends, yeah. friends that just 
keep from school because they moved with you to Vienna, but you actually don't really feel anything in common, or maybe, right? And then you go to a place completely remote and everything stays there that you don't want to take with you. Mm-hmm. And everything that you take, you still know why, mm-hmm. you still know the purpose of it, you know why it's good for you. And the things that you keep on missing after a year of absence are those you should really get back to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a very powerful. Uh, like I'm not even talking about the lessons you learn there and the courses you do and the people you meet, the new people. It's just about like everything from your past that you get to deal with on a daily basis. So powerful what it does with that. And then add to it all the free space you have that you fill with new experiences from travel, learning the language, the food, and it's amazing. It adds a beautiful layer. If 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 I do a section of your life, like a stacking of of layers in in the soil, that that Erasmus year is like, it's a a glowing, it's a glowing time. I don't know anybody who told me a sad story about their... Yeah. And, and they, they probably are. Yeah. I'm sorry for those guys. They might have not been the right thing to do. But for you it was, and it... Yeah, yeah. For, I think for most of students. That's the yeah. pinnacle of the 20s. I see it like that. Like you should end this 10 years of search for your soul mm-hmm. and traveling and knowledge collecting with a big trip far away oh, and you come back so great oh, you come back so as great. a as a new human being yeah i hope i hope this gives you like <laughs> goosebumps yeah I'm, I'm now thrown back to erasmus <laughs> to istanbul <laughs> maybe look back some old photographs yeah i'll definitely go home Share tears. Oh, this was so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think in the journey of a young man, that's pure happiness and joy. Yeah, you have all the elements of the hero path. From you know, you you also find like the worst part of yourself. You fight it off. Yeah. You get rid of it. Yeah. You leave it back there. Yeah. Like, Thank you for coming with me on that trip and staying there. I'm not taking you home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking I'm leaving you here. It's very very interesting. Well, Patrick, I think we had such a beautiful talk. I was pleased to have a talk like that. Thank you for all the opportunities to talk about design and design language. I'd love this podcast to evolve and become a platform where we can talk about designs in more specific context. I kind of introduce that chair that I want to present to the audience. I'm still thinking about how to yeah. probably That's... going to overthink it and then <laughs> drop some images on Instagram. Yeah. So on Instagram. Yes. You have, to, you have to share your Instagram as well. Oh yeah 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 I think I have that's to follow you. I, I think I didn't I didn't so far, but I will, yes. And also I put your Instagram. Okay yeah. Anything you want the audience to find out about you that mm. you haven't shared yet? A secret website of yours that you've been preparing for years? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I keep the secret alive. Yeah. And 
I would love in future episodes to talk with you about great movies yeah. and the inspiration they gave you and see if after a couple of months you look back to this episode and think, wow, I've grown since then. I've hopefully, added this to my, to my toolbox. Yeah. Life is a story of evolving and learning things and it never stops. And I'm sure we will also have an episode with Moritz together. Yeah, that would be nice. Maybe we'll do, a, the three of us, a regular movie review. Since you guys, you have time to watch movies in the theaters. Yeah, that is, that is actually a hobby of us. We, we love to go to the theater to watch movies, yeah, that, and regularly. And since I don't have the time anymore, mm. uh, I would love to get your reviews. It makes me travel a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. And actually, we're gonna watch the movie next week, right? Yeah. Which one? Killer of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I saw the poster yesterday. Yeah, with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's from Martin Scorsese? Yeah, 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 from Martin Scorsese. And there was another Seems guy, good. Robert De Niro. Yes, Robert De Niro is also. Everything in movies is around people and architecture as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the common area. Yeah. It's about people and about stories. Mm. How come about stories in architecture? I like to think of architecture as a form of stor storytelling. Mm. Do you know these projects, like development projects, where you see apartments or buildings and mm -hmm. on the websites of the developer and they give it like a name, like this is Gabriel or... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they the, give them the personalities. Project. In the local project too, yeah. yeah. They, they yeah. And I think that's a way to put it in a, in a story. It's a story of the client and the architecture in some, in some way. Yeah, their relationship, yeah. how they find each other. Yeah. Because it's like a lot about that. <laughs> like a romance. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you know, finding your style as an architect is hard enough. Mm. It takes you decades. But then for a client, it must be an incredible, very fast process. You come to an architect and you need to have all the answers. Yeah. It must be so weird to... To be in this position. Yeah. yeah. I think as architects, we can never feel like clients that have mm. never studied that. No. They just looked at catalogs and that's not really like getting into the nitty gritty of the job or... Yeah. It's another approach. It's like an artist coming on the on the main stage, you know, mm. to walk all the small corridors along all the technicians and the wardrobes and then, then you enter the big stage and, mm. and the client is more like coming from the audience. Yeah. Like, Being called out from the yeah. artist. <laughs> Come on stage. Yeah. yeah. And, then he, and then he sees all the people behind him almost like he would pull all the energy of the people with him on mm. the stage and then turning around and facing everyone. It's a complete other uh, approach and perspective. Yeah. yeah, I think that's good analogy. So, dear listeners, stay tuned for movie reviews by Patrick and Moritz. <laughs> and maybe we can also review past movies. I'll send you a list of movies yeah. that I watched, that I loved, and, and I'd love to get your feedback and your look yeah. and, uh, and review of it. It's all related a little bit to architecture and design. That's... We should introduce that as a, 
as a segment. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, dear listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode. It's dropping next Monday. And talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, this was the second and final part with Patrick Sabletsky. I hope you had a good time. It was a longer episode. I didn't want to cut it in half and make you wait another week. Um, I hope you learned a thing or two. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. I always put all the info on the topics we discuss. If I miss something, let me know at uh, aka.viennaarchitect.com. I'll be on it right away. If you made it till the end, wow, you're an amazing listener. I mean, in general, you must be a great friend and partner in life. So even though chances are I don't know you, let me just say thank you for sticking around and supporting the show. You've been sharing your thoughts, uh, feedback, recommendations, and sending me emails with really kind words. You've been the best audience and support I can wish for. So yeah, just keep on being the best version of yourself. I really appreciate you. And if you want to make sure that you're always staying in the loop with uh, the latest AI design news, check out ViennaArchitect.com. This is where I keep the news updated on a weekly basis. I also curate all the coolest AI design news that I come across. And I have a weekly newsletter you can subscribe to where I share all the AI tools and AI news related to the architecture field in general. You can find it all at ViennaArchitect.com. So thank you once again for tuning in into this episode. I had such a nice time down memory lane with Patrick. I hope to have him back on the show very soon. If you did enjoy the show, give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing to the channel. That will make sure you get a notification for each episode that comes out and more students and young architects get to discover the show. The other thing is sharing with friends or people you know will be interested. That always helps. Okay, that's it for now. Talk to you next week. I have a couple new episodes coming up with a really cool guests I can't wait to share with you. Have a great week. Hear you soon.